Company Matters, part of the Link Group, employs a team of more than 50 experienced governance professionals supporting over 130 clients with meetings, compliance and reporting. If you require assistance with your company secretarial function through team support or secondment, then head to our website companymatters.co.uk and contact us today. Today I'm speaking to Daniel Roach, Senior Technical Lead at Company Matters, which is a part of Link Group. We're going to be discussing the rapidly evolving area of ESG reporting. It's great to be speaking to you today, Daniel. Perhaps you could start off our discussion by telling us a little bit about your background and why you think ESG matters to our audience of company secretaries and governance professionals. It's great to be with you too, Rachel, and, and great to be on, on this podcast. In terms of my background, I suppose now a happily failed academic, so I, I studied history all the way through to PhD level, um, okay. but, then, but then needed a real job and needed to earn <laughs> some money um, and, and fell into the COSEC profession, as mm. I suppose a lot of people do. Um, and I'm, I'm happily there still, ten and mm-hmm. a half years later. In terms of ESG and why it matters to company secretaries and governance professionals, I think, I think it matters for a whole host of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it matters because we're humans and, mm-hmm. and, and the environment matters to us. Uh, it matters uh, because we're working for companies that care about ESG matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it matters because... Uh, we're supposed to be advising boards on, on ESG, yes. and that's a complicated area. Yes. Um, and so we're, our minds are heavily focused on trying to mm. understand it as best we can, uh, to then be trying to advise as best we mm-hmm. can. Um, and I think it matters too, because we know through a whole host of studies and boards uh, and companies are talking about ESG all the time. Mm. Um, and so I think we want to make sure as best we can as company secretaries that they're having good conversations and the right conversations about the right things yeah. uh, to the best that we can. Um, yeah. So I think that's a little bit of, of why it matters uniquely to us as co yeah. That's interesting. And, and I suppose one of the areas that's driving that focus from boards on ESG is an increased investor focus on ESG matters. Yep. What do you think is driving that focus? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and there's lots of different ways you can answer it. But um, one of one of the useful things that's out there, and there's so much out there, Schroders do an annual sustainability survey, mm. and what's interesting about that is that you can see how the responses to that survey in terms of why people invest in sustainable funds and sustainable investments, you can see how that's changed over time. Mm. In 2020, the the biggest uh, block of respondents basically said we invest in sustainable funds because of the likelihood of higher returns mm-hmm. it's been interesting since then that that has gone from being the biggest reason to the smallest one okay. um, and in the last couple of years and in the last survey actually it is just that the wider environmental impact is mm. driving investor focus on ESG matters and mm. then after that societal principles really mm. so we should care about this because we should care about society uh, mm. and the environment so I think that's where we are now really mm. um, but it's unavoidable even frankly if you're a director or a company or an individual who's not that bothered you can't avoid it anymore because the amount of pressure from mm. investors and regulators etc yeah. etc is such that you've got to tackle this mm. and that's an interesting shift that it's it's moving up the agenda and it's becoming about more than just returns like you said yeah um 
And so what are some of the challenges facing company secretaries and governance professionals on ESG? It's great, isn't it, as a, <laughs> someone in the industry uh, who loves governance to, to have lots of focus on governance. But the, the, mm. the downside of that is this is an incredibly complex area where mm. there's lots of governance and there's lots of regulation. Yeah. And it's quite technical and there's mandatory things and there's voluntary things and there's mm. this framework and there's that framework. I think one challenge is just trying to get our heads around it. Um, and trying to watch it as it as it moves I think as well as being technical our role is obviously highly practical in that Mm. we are advising boards we're advising uh, management about these things and so I think the practical challenge of getting buy-in from boards and getting time in board meetings and getting the right things in front of the board Mm. uh, and getting boards comfortable with some of uh, this stuff uh, I think that's a real challenge and, and with new regulation comes uncertainty and how that is going to be applied but also from boards a degree of discomfort in terms of um, where they stand or what their appetite is like mm. or think about something like the new diversity requirements mm. which we might get onto later boards are having to think about those things and think about the future and how Mm. they're going to move towards those things Mm. Um, so I think those are some of the challenges and there's obviously two conversations around to have or not to have an ESG committee and the the merits of that yeah Um, so those are some of the things I think that, that, that come to my mind that's interesting thinking about having an ESG committee it makes me think about what the UK corporate governance code says about ESG and and actually the the proposed changes to it um, yeah I think some of those reference giving ESG reporting to the audit committee. It's interesting what the code might say and what's mm. happening in the industry as well. I think mm. something like 52% of the FTSE 100 has got an ESG committee by that name mm. or another name. Um, and it's less into the, the 350. Uh, but lots of companies, regardless of what's going to happen with the code, mm. um, they have ESG committees or yeah. a committee like that by another name. So it's interesting then that the current consultation on the code mm. um, in the actual narrative around that, they talk about how they um, had considered really mandating uh, a sustainability committee, as mm. it's called in, in, in that Uh, in the consultation document, but decided against it because, Mm. uh, to quote them, companies are building experience in different ways and the issues Mm. relating to sustainability and ESG might be dealt with by risk committees, people committees, management teams or Mm. external experts. And then they say, which I think is maybe the nub of the issue, quote, the audit committee has experience in setting policies and frameworks which could be adapted to ESG metrics. Mm. And as such, it is best positioned to oversee ESG disclosures, controls, processes and assurance. You mentioned a little bit earlier about um, lots of different requirements around ESG, some voluntary, some mandatory. And there's quite a few new things coming up. What future ESG reporting developments do you think companies need to be aware of? Yeah, good, good question. And I think there are three in my mind. Mm. Um, one is the ISSB uh, sustainability standards. Mm. Um, the second is TNFD, uh, mm. the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. Mm. Uh, and the third is this consultation on the code. Um, mm. In terms of ISSB, um, we, we've obviously got two standards that mm. have that have come out and really feed sustainability into 
uh, the, the financial statements and into the notes in the back end of an annual mm. report uh, and into financial reporting and the risks and opportunities um, around that. Um, and, and, and those two standards will form the basis of UK sustainability disclosure standards. The two consultations mm. that have been announced uh, by the FRC and the FCA on those things. Um, I think aspirationally, the UK standards would come out 12 months after the launch of the ISSB mm. standards. But I think as with all these things, it'll probably take a bit longer than mm. maybe originally envisaged. The second is TNFD. Mm. Now, when I say TNFD, I do still find a mixture of responses which mm. tend to be, I've never heard of that, mm. or I've already heard about TCFD. So TNFD, the final recommendations were published very recently. So there's some traction and there's some press around it, but there still seems mm. to be quite a lack of awareness, I think. This is TCFD for nature. Um, right. And it's very self-consciously trying to um, mimic really uh, TCFD um, in the sense that the four pillars of TC TCFD uh, are identical in TNFD. Right. So they're trying to make it yeah. easily integratable. That's not a word, mm. but I just made it up <laughs> uh, into, into TCFD. Mm. Um, the ISSB uh, and the GRI, to use another acronym, those <laughs> people have been knowledge partners in the actual mm. consultation around TNFD. And so hopefully right. it'll be a bit more integrated and a bit easier mm. to come in. Now, how it comes in to the UK corporate governance regime um, is TBC. Mm. Um, some investors have begun to ask for it to be mandatory in the same right. way that TCFD is. At, at mm. the moment, it obviously isn't. TCFD mm. took years from implementation to mm. actually coming into UK um, regulation as mandatory. Mm. So, so it may well be similar. We're already beginning to see uh, some of the, the FTSE early adopt and begin to integrate some, some mm. TNFD reporting into their TCFD reporting. So it's really okay. putting nature under the spotlight yeah. in the yeah. same way as climate generally. Um, mm. So that's, that's a little bit about TNFD. And then the third thing is the UK code consultation, which mm -hmm. is getting a lot of airtime. Mm. Um, and, and one of the reasons why there's a, been a consultation on the code mm. uh, is because of ESGs. There's three areas which touch on ESG. Mm. One is remuneration mm. um, and the need for there to be stronger links between remuneration policies and corporate performance with ESG objectives mm. um, and, and exec remuneration being tied to those objectives. Mm -hmm. um, the second is the role of the audit committee, which we touched mm. on a bit earlier. So the proposed new wording stipulates that the audit committee will have responsibility for monitoring the integrity of narrative reporting, mm. including sustainability matters. It's very clear there. And, and the assurance side of things um, too. So in the way the audit committee engages with the auditor now around mm. um, the financial disclosures, so mm -hmm. too going forward, I think it will become much more increasingly common for mm. um, the audit committee to think particularly mm. about the assurance around the ESG metrics and disclosures in an annual report. Um, and then the third bit is uh, just around diversity uh, mm. beyond gender and ethnicity, uh, the diversity of all, of all types. 
yeah. particularly at board and exec management level. So those are mm. the three areas that the new code consultation is touching on. And the idea mm. is, is that that code will um, apply to accounting years commencing on or after the 1st of January 2025. So there'll mm. be a year probably from the time that it is finalised, the new code, to actually um, implementation. Um, mm. So those are the three things that I see coming down the track. It's interesting, the task force on nature related financial disclosures that you said doesn't quite have as much traction at the moment. Do you think that's because this area of nature and biodiversity loss and understanding its a relationship with climate change is a bit of a newer theme that companies and boards and governance professionals are still getting to grips with? Yeah, yeah. I think it doesn't have traction yet because it's so fresh, and I, and mm. I think you can get acronym indigestion. Yes, <laughs> yes. For want of a better phrase, and I think that's a reality too. That boards are getting confused. There's a lot to grapple with, and it's difficult yeah. to work out how these things all interlink. So I think mm. the hope for ISSB um, is that things begin to be standardised and incorporated. Yes. I think people who are doing good TCFD reporting at the moment mm. and good ESG reporting at the moment and are already reporting on nature, mm. and you can see that in the, in the, the best practice that's out there. Now, mm. what's happening, of course, is that some of the bigger companies who are on the front foot have signed up to TNFD and have been mm. part of the consultation. So the disclosures will get better and fuller mm. and align with TNFD, but I think they'll already be doing quite a bit of it, if that makes sense. Mm, yes. I think sometimes is that the case that it's often about highlight, highlighting how initiatives or work that an organisation or a board is already doing actually fulfil ESG yeah. requirements or, like you said, biodiversity loss they are they're addressing that but perhaps they just haven't labeled it like that before i think that's right i think that's mm -hmm. right and then and then inevitably someone comes along and mm -hmm. like tcfd or T tnfd and says let's standardize that and let's mm. let's try and push best practice globally um and, and that is a good thing but in the in mm. the uh, intermediate phase it's sometimes a bit of a headache and so how should companies go about determining which voluntary esg reporting frameworks they should adopt yeah, I, th I think I think that's a good question, and and I think at the heart of that, uh, it's important to know who who you are as a company and who your mm. investors are, and who your stakeholders are, and what matters to them um, in terms of um, what frameworks matter to them, what information mm. matters to them. The best companies will have accessible. Um, corporate reporting and interfaces with their stakeholders and, and the users of their annual reports but they'll also have web pages which are linking to all sorts of different feeds and much mm. more exhaustive information so that people can access those sorts of things so if you want 5,000 bits of data you can go and get that mm. if you're the average man on the street you don't mm. need that level of information I think helping the user distinguish I also think there is just a reality that you can't do everything mm. um, around voluntary uh, reporting. And so to choose what you will do, be good at that is, is, yeah. a, is a good thing. And to show how what you're doing interlinks with, say, the UN Sustainability Development Goals, mm. um, that's useful, helpful. There's a humility in it as well, just mm. acknowledging we're going to do this. We can't do everything. Yeah. We're going to do this. 
Yeah, and I suppose it's that materiality of understanding what um, is relevant to your business and your customers, where you can make a difference. Because like you said, you can't do everything, but if your business is in a particular sector that has an impact on the environment or can you know, positively impact society, then that makes sense that that's where you would focus. You mentioned different groups of people needing different information. And when we think about the AGM and, and voting at that time, what approach are the proxy voting bodies taking towards ESG matters? I think that the, the overall statement would be that they're backing up uh, mm. the regulatory changes. So they are, mm. they're adding teeth to them, I suppose, mm. uh, whether that's TCFD or the listing rule requirement uh, mm. around the diversity statement. They're backing mm. up those things. So so mm. they are recommending that companies vote against the chair of uh, of a committee or board if the TCFD mm. reporting isn't up to scratch. If companies aren't meeting their diversity targets, and again, they will recommend voting against. So there's no place to hide, I think. Yes. <laughs> in, in a way, because... Um, because this is such a priority for investors uh, yeah. and this is such a priority yeah. for proxy voting bodies. We've seen the weight that the investors can give to um, perhaps a, an activist in the past who has a resolution relating to an environmental or social issue. And if an investor gets behind it, a big investor, then it can, it can really affect the company and in some cases be, be passed. Um, yeah. So also thinking about getting the best information to your stakeholders, what does best practice ESG reporting look like? I, and I think you sort of nodded to it there, really, mm. in terms of stakeholders and investors, like think, thinking from that angle um, from the beginning, who are our stakeholders? Mm. What matters to them inside and outside the organisation? Good ESG reporting isn't just facts and figures. It mm. isn't just numbers. It isn't just data. Mm. It's actually um, telling the story of the company, where it's come mm. from in terms of ESG reporting and climate mm. reporting and where it wants to go. And, and I think the best ESG reporting, it comes from companies who have worked out who they are and where they want to go. And, mm. and, and are being transparent about that, not just mm. aspirational, not just pretending mm. they've got it all sorted. Um, but they've done they've done a materiality assessment. They've worked mm. out what's important for their employees, for stakeholders inside the organisation, for people outside the organisation, for the regulators, for investors, for the environment, for their communities, for for all of those different groups of people. And then they say, as a result of that exercise, we've worked out that these five things, or whatever it is, are our most important priorities. Mm. And so we're going to work on those things. Mm. And so next year in our annual report, you should expect us to report on those things. Mm. And, and on those five things, this is how we're doing at the moment. We're, we're kind of on track with this one. We're mm. slightly behind on this one and we're ahead on this one. And, and with the one that we're behind on, we're behind because of this reason. And this mm. is what we're going to do about it. So there's a real transparency there and an accountability to the user of mm. the report um, about how that company is doing and it's also clearly understandable the best reporting is intelligible yes <laughs> and, it's, and it's understandable and you can look at it and get it quite quickly even yeah. if you know you don't need a PhD to mm. understand it um, and I think too 
and at the same time the other end of the spectrum the best reporting is technical mm. and it is comprehensive but it's integrated so it's, it's applied you know you can see as i said where where their priorities around esg matters interlink with the un sustainability goals where they link in with tcfd what they're doing around tnfd etc it's still user friendly you can see yeah. it you can understand it and and they even explain why those metrics matter to them mm. uh, and, and and how they're doing so in that sense it's it's very applied it's not generic it's not trying mm. to be all things to all people mm. it's just mm. trying to do do a few things well so when governance professionals are trying to assess those different areas and, and which are important to their company and their stakeholders what are some of those key ESG questions that they would be asking themselves and thinking about in terms of their company and their stakeholders? I think starting from the stakeholder perspective specifically, mm. I, I think there is a question of if we know who our stakeholders are, and hopefully companies do because of their Section mm. 172 reporting and mm. which they've been doing for a while, but how do we actually assess their views uh, on mm. ESG matters? How do we assess what's important to them? And if we are assessing what's important to them, how well are we doing at that? And, and how are mm. we integrating their views into the way we're collecting data and what data we're collecting around ESG mm. matters? How are we integrating that information into decision-making within our mm. organisation and at board level? How are we integrating that into our corporate reporting? Um, and then there are a whole host, I think, of other questions for a board uh, around ESG matters. How well aware are we of not just the regulation at the moment, but what's coming down the track? Mm. How are those things going to impact us as a company? Mm. Um, do we have the right governance structures in place within mm. our organisation to cope with uh, what's coming down the track and mm. what is at the moment? Do we have the right committees in place? Do we have the right expertise on those different committees and at board mm. level? Do we have uh, the right skill sets and the ESG mm. experience at mm. board level and committee level to be able to to deal with this sort of stuff? Mm. Do, do we have a, a clear understanding of how our ESG goals are integrated uh, into our overall company goals? Mm. Um, Questions like that, I think, become quite important. Can we articulate that to stakeholders? Mm, mm. I think that's important. Because if you can't articulate it, do you really know it? Yes. Um, <laughs> do you actually believe it? Um, yeah. So lots of questions, but those are some. Yeah. I suppose sometimes that's when it goes back to looking at what you are doing already and how it relates, because that would help you articulate it, because those are the things that you know about, rather than trying to pick something um, yeah that you don't know so well because you think it's the you're meant to do yeah yeah and 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 uh, you know organizations and companies large organizations and companies have lots of people who are doing lots mm. of things and yeah uh so there's there's both there'll be both structured if i can mm. say that top-down initiatives in it, led by an organization initiated at board level but there'll also be lots of grassroots things going mm. on and sometimes mm. it is just a case pulling that together and saying mm. this is this is what we're doing mm. uh, and so you mentioned a little bit about requirements around diversity reporting, mm. which would probably um, fall under the S in ESG. What do you think best practice thinking and reporting on that S looks like? And, and is, it, is it diversity? Is it any other areas? Yeah, it's a, it's 
It's a good question. And I think all the scrutiny at the moment is on the E and ESG. Uh, yeah. That might be an exaggeration, I suppose. Diversity mm-hmm. um, is, is, is the other, you know, if it's climate under the E, then it's, mm. then it's diversity under the S. Mm. Um, but I think uh, best practice around S, <laughs> the social mm. side of things, mm. often I think we find and see that social disclosures are dispersed across an annual report mm. um, and, and initiatives too in an organisation therefore might be dispersed as well. And I think the best companies can pull together those disclosures around mm. S. The best companies have clearly thought about what their S is and they've mm. said, for us, the S in ESG is, is, is these one, two, three, four mm. things. Um, and this is why they matter to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why they're the most important things. Um, and I think, uh, I think as well as diversity, which which we may talk a bit more about, but I think as as well as diversity, I think cu- culture too is, is mm. it remains a thing under mm. under the, under the S. Uh, and the best companies that I've seen in terms of reporting are able to not just say qualitative things around their culture. Mm. Know, we've got a great culture because we've mm. got a great culture. Uh, <laughs> they, they will say, we've got a great culture because we measure it in these ways. This is how we measure it. And this is what our scoring was like. And this is mm. what we're doing about that. Mm. And this is what the feedback is like. Mm. Um, and, and that feels much more robust, I think, than just yeah. saying we've got an open and honest culture. Yes. Um, so those are there's a couple of things there around the S, but mm. I think conceptual clarity is helpful mm. on what your S is, both as a board and then showing that in your annual mm. report. Because in some t- in some ways, it's a bit more challenging, isn't it, to um, to be able to articulate that? Because in some ways, the E has those obvious metrics of carbon emissions. Um, y- you know, you can you can yeah quantify it, but with S, it can feel a bit less tangible. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, and I suppose that with the Parker Review and Hampton Alexander and mm. then those things being integrated into listing rules, I suppose that is an effort to quantify yeah. uh, diversity, at least at the top mm. level of an organisation. And so you mentioned um, diversity reporting. Um, mm. What are some of the benefits of, of that and also the challenges that face companies when it comes to diversity reporting? We would all say that that having organizational diversity is inherently beneficial mm. um and so i think the the benefit of um g- good diversity reporting is is that the users of those reports and investors can actually mm. see what's going on in that organization mm. and they can understand it and they can uh get their head around it and and um and they can get behind that organisation and ultimately want to invest in it because it has mm. a, a healthy degree of, of, of diversity and is working on that. Um, so I think I think that's a main, a main benefit of of, di- of decent diversity reporting in that sense. It's more than just we're ticking a regulatory box, mm. and therefore aren't we good? Again, it's that point of just showing what's actually going on in an organisation mm. mm-hmm. um, and celebrating that. Um, challenges i think this is obviously a movable feast diversity reporting Mm. and it's evolving all the time Mm. i i think 
challenges are um, they're different in nature. But if you're mm. a company which doesn't have a diverse board, uh, mm. that is a challenging position to be in. Mm. Um, obviously, gender diversity in terms of women on boards mm. is way ahead of ethnic diversity. Mm. It's a challenge, I think, for um, boards at the moment. They're having to think through succession planning. They're having to think about disclosures in their annual reports. They're having to get their mm. head around the new requirements. Um, they've also got the real challenges, too, of, of mm. um, finding candidates from a sufficient mm. pool size um, mm. that, that that will support that, their diversity in terms of succession planning. Mm. Um, and I think, too, that in having to get their head around some of this reporting, existing boards and existing directors are having to make disclosures about themselves, mm. uh, too, which some of some of those directors are finding that uncomfortable and so yes. you will see in annual reports that sometimes a significant percentage or a significant minority of directors are saying actually I'd prefer not to specify or mm. say what my ethnicity is it'll be interesting to see how how that evolves over time as the regulation becomes more mm. Im Im embedded mm. um, but yeah those are just a few challenges I suppose yeah, and I think that can be a challenge in terms of understanding the diversity of your organisation as a whole. Getting that kind of data depends on how willing your employees are to disclose yeah. it. And so it, sometimes yeah. it can be hard to get a true picture of the organisation. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned about best practice diversity reporting evolving. Was, um, was there anything in particular that you were thinking of there? Yeah, I think... Um... I think what we're seeing is uh, lots of metrics around diversity. Ob mm. Obviously, the listing rule is stipulating mm. gender and ethnic diversity. Um, but I think we're beginning to see, in terms of best practice, we're beginning to see diversity around age of boards being disclosed, tenure of directors, mm. and, and also a... Um, contextualising of that and a situating of those... Um, those metrics within broader data points across the organisation, as mm. you sort of alluded to, whether that's gender pay gap, whether that's mm. women across the whole workforce mm. um, and seeing almost slice by slice what's the percentage of women at board level, management level, mm. different pay grades, how does that work? So we're, mm. we're seeing, I think, more granular diversity disclosures in that sense, which mm. I suppose both... Uh, situates and uh, sometimes offsets <laughs> the picture at board level. I wonder if it's done because it indicates that an organisation is working on this from the grassroots and yes. there is a diverse pipeline that's coming yeah. through, even if it's not there yet. Mm. Um, and you'll see all sorts of KPIs around female representation in companies mm. uh, and percentage changes year on year and mm. all of those sorts of things demonstrate that I think so mm. uh, I th if the best reporting isn't just facts and figures it's telling a story then I think those companies would be hoping that users can see that um, whether or not they always do is another case <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to voting but, uh, mm. but I think good disclosure there is, is, is always 
is always a, is, is always the best the best approach. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I do you think too? The, I think mm. the, just the other thing I would say, and maybe you touched on it mm. organisationally, is is that there is an interesting dynamic whereby obviously corporate governance is is very focused on female and mm. ethnic diversity. Mm. There's a celebration of that and an encouragement of that. Uh, mm. of course which is only a good thing but there mm. is an interesting issue there which is problematic as you said mm. which is that w particularly when you go workforce wide people don't necessarily want to disclose all of those things so no. how do you celebrate those things and encourage mm. those things um whilst whilst not um i suppose creating issues for your workforce yeah. or your board yeah yeah, it's it's tricky um, to do it in a way that that still feels respectful yeah. to the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's perhaps one of those challenges that that will continue to be discussed um, between governance professionals and company secretaries and, and their boards as they keep um, on addressing ESG issues um, and how they affect the company and, and stakeholders. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Daniel, for the discussion today. It's been really interesting looking at those core ESG issues that governance professionals and company secretaries are facing and, and how they're affecting reporting in this area from the relevant regulation and voluntary standards that are coming into effect and investors and proxy advisors' expectations and, and how these issues are making an impact to the AGM and discussing those central ESG questions that are facing a business and, and how they, they can help themselves by thinking about their stakeholders and their sector and, and making it about what they can do meaningfully and how they can address this in the annual reports. Um, thank you, Daniel. It's been really great to speak to you today. No, thank you. Thanks for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Engage Governance. Look out for more podcasts coming soon. We would like to thank our sponsors and experts for supporting the launch of the Engage Governance podcast series. To access more podcasts and other useful governance tools, like our guidance notes, blogs and articles, please visit www.cgi.org.uk.